0: In today's episode, we're going to celebrate the life of Cicely Tyson. She was quite an icon, both in movies on the screen and also on TV, and she did work on Broadway as well. Her career spanned well over 70 some years, and she lived to be 96 years old. She was born on the 19th of December in 1924 in East Harlem, New York City, and she died on the 28th of January, 2021, also in New York City. She wrote a book, a memoir, Just As I Am, and it was released two days before she actually died in 2021. Her career includes so many accolades, far more than I can possibly mention, but I am going to mention a few of them just so we have a sense of the breadth of her career. In 2020, she received the Peabody Career Achievement Award. In 2018, she received an Honorary Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement. And when she received that, it was described that it was for unforgettable performance and personal integrity, having inspired generations of filmmakers, actors, and also audiences. In 2016, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 2015, the Kennedy Center Honor, and in 2013, at the age of 88, she won a Tony Award for Best Performance And this was for a revival of The Trip to Bountiful. So imagine that, getting an award at 88 years old, but that's what happened for her in 2013. In 1997, she won the Black Filmmakers Hall of Fame honor. In 1994, she won Best Supporting Actress for an adaptation of Oldest Living Confederate Widow Tells All. And she got two Emmys in that particular Show. She also was particularly known for her acclaimed role as Rebecca in the movie Sounder. She had an Oscar nomination for the 1972 movie Sounder. And what was interesting about this film, she was playing the role of a wife and mother in the 1930s timeframe. They were sharecroppers in Louisiana, and she had to play some a multifaceted characters, be able to display passion, compassion, a range of emotions, to be tender, to be tough. And that's something that Cicely Tyson was well known for. She was versatile. She was able to display all of those emotions. And when that movie came out in 1972, it was at a time when there were not yet still a lot of good shows with great values displayed by Black people in families. So one white journalist even said that he was shocked in the movie to see the children referring to their father in the movie as daddy, the same thing that his children call him. And he said he had to confront his own racism and not even realizing that in a Black family, there would be those same ties of love and concern as were in his own family. So in her performances. She was showing a picture, showing what was another view, a more accurate view of options and possibilities in Black families than what was generally displayed on either the big or the small screen. She was also nominated five times for guest actress in a drama for the TV series, How to Get Away with Murder. And that show was running for a while, and she was in many different episodes on that as well. There were so many other honors and accolades to include Critics' Choice, Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Spring Art Medal, the National Society of Film Critics, Satellite Award for Best Ensemble, NAACP Image Awards, and the BET Honors Award for Theatrical Arts. She was nominated 16 times for an Academy Award. In her early days, her movie debut was in 1956 in the film Odds Against Tomorrow, which also featured Harry Belafonte. She went on to be in The Comedians, Last Angry Man, A Man Called Adam, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, and many, many other performances. She also chose to skip that period of time when the black exploitation movies were popular and black people were portrayed as the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the pimps, and so on. And so for a period of time, she really didn't work a whole lot because people were looking for black actors to be in these less desirable and unsavory roles. And she, because of her own integrity, chose not to participate. And so there were years when she didn't actually produce any movies because of that. She went on on the TV screen to star in all kinds of performances as Miss Jane Pittman. And in Miss Jane Pittman, she was representing the life of a woman from the time of slavery through the 1960 civil rights years, and this was a 110-year lifespan, and all kinds of exotic makeup had to be done, and she had to play all those different time periods in this woman's life. Very iconic role that she played in that movie. She also was in When No One Would Listen, and she was in The Women of Brewster Place, a TV adaptation of The Trip to Bountiful, Mission Impossible, Many cameo and guest appearances. She also was very well known for playing iconic kinds of roles where there was a story to tell about important people and she wanted that story told and she accepted those roles. Things such as the Wilma Rudolph story or King, which is the story of Dr. Martin Luther King, a woman called Moses, the Marva Collins story. These were all stories that she really wanted to highlight. She also was in other productions such as the help roots she was the mother of kunta kinte in the roots production and fried green tomatoes and so many more she was on an episode of law and order and she also played in sweet justice where she was a southern attorney in a civil rights themed legal drama that was in 1994 to 1995. During Tyler Perry's time and days, he included her in a lot of his productions later on in her career, such as 2005, Diary of a Mad Black Woman, 2006, Medea's Family Reunion, 2010, Why Did I Get Married Too?, and then Alex Cross in 2012. In 1961, she did an off-Broadway production called The Blacks. And this was a role that really catapulted her career and gave her some additional opportunities. When she was serving in the Blacks in the role of virtue, and she was an original cast member and was there for a number of years, she served with people like Roscoe Lee Brown, James Earl Jones, Godfrey Cambridge, and Raymond St. Jocks. I mean, these are top-notch names In the acting world at the time. And because of her work in the Blacks and her excellence, she ended up having the opportunity to be on a recurring TV drama. And she was the first Black woman to be in a recurring role on a Black TV drama series called East Side, West Side. And she was the assistant for the lead actor in that role. It was an office of social workers, as a matter of fact. She did a lot of other Broadway and other kinds of productions to include Lorraine Hansberry's To Be Young, Gifted, and Black. She did that in 1969. And when she was working in the Black, she, she received an award, the Vernon Rice Award, for her performance there. If we dial back a little bit to her early life, When She was raised in New York. Her parents were from the West Indies. They were from the island town of Nevis. They were a very religious family, strongly religious family. Her father was a carpenter and a painter. Her mother was a housekeeper. And they kept a close knit and tight rein on the children. And most of their life really revolved around the church. She spent a lot of time playing the piano, playing the organ, teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, going to prayer meetings, and involved in lots of activities in the church. Her parents didn't allow them to go to movies. And so later on, she didn't really know what a movie was. When she even considered the possibility of being an actor and being in movies, it wasn't anything that she had personally experienced. In spite of her parents' close-knit reign, she was talking to Kelly Ripka and Ryan Seacrest on their morning show, and it was the last interview that she did before she died, and she did the interview the day before she died. And one of the stories that she tells in that interview is that she used to sneak out of the house after her parents were gone, and she would take the subway, and she would go down to a place where they would do concerts, and they would do these shows for young white children. It wasn't even for black children, but she would go down there and she would sit on the steps and she would participate in terms of listening and absorbing it, taking it all in and paying attention. No one ever knew that she went down there to do that and no one ever discovered it. But this was all part of just building in what she was going to need for her future. And she probably didn't even know what the future was going to be at that time, but she was already working on it. After she graduated high school, she worked as a secretary for the Red Cross. And then she was discovered by a fashion editor of Ebony Magazine, and she became a model. So that was her first major career. And in her modeling career, she even appeared on In Vogue Magazine and also Harper's Bazaar. She later studied at the Actors Studio with Lloyd Richards and Vanette Carroll. She was featured as Barbara Allen in the 1959 Off-Broadway production, The Dark of the Moon. It was a revival of a musical. She did a number of other variety shows, Talent 59, that was in 1959, and Jolly's Progress, where she was the understudy of the famous Ertha Kitt. So quite an illustrious career, all kinds of opportunities that she had a chance to participate in. In terms of her TV credits and later TV, she was on shows like The Naked City, The Nurses, I Spy, Slattery's People, and The Bill Cosby Show. Personally, she was also active in arts and charities. In her personal life, she was married to two different husbands. By her first husband, she had a daughter. And she's been very private, not even using the real name of her daughter, but she refers to her as Joan and her book is dedicated to Joan. They had a very close relationship, and she left Joan's father when Joan was only two years old, so she spent a lot of time sacrificing to make sure her daughter would have better opportunities in her life, and even had to send her away for a while to boarding school, but they remained close all of her life, as a matter of fact. And later, she was also married to jazz musician Miles Davis, And that lasted a number of years, and ultimately she ended up getting divorced from him as well. It was a tumultuous relationship, and she had a compassionate heart for him because she saw the talent that he had, she saw the gift that he was to the world, and she really wanted him to see that in himself and to stop the destructive life that he was leading. However, that was not to take place, and so she ultimately had to separate herself from him as well. Cicely Tyson's career was long, it was prolific, it was illustrious, and I would say this, similar to Sidney Poitier, she made sure not to serve in Problematic roles. She refused to be a prostitute in any movie. She refused to be a housekeeper in any movie. She did not do anything that she felt was going to show disrepute and poor credit to Black people. She wasn't going to be a drug addict, nothing that would demean a Black woman. She did not play any of those roles. She was known for playing strong Black women, women who were about something in their lives and who had a message to actually share with other people. When she was young, she was very quiet. And she later learned that she could speak through other people, such as the roles that she was acted in. And that's often how she spoke messages that she wanted to get out to the world and to the public. One trivia fact about the movie Sounder, she wanted to play the lead of Rebecca. And that was in her mind. And she was practicing for it and rehearsing for it for a long time. However, the powers to be said that they didn't think she was appropriate for the role. They thought she was too nice looking. They thought she was too sexy, a whole bunch of things, that somehow she wasn't the right person for the role. They offered the role to another actor at the time, and that was Gloria Foster. However, in the end, they weren't able to make a deal with Foster because they weren't offering enough money for the role. In the meantime, even though Cicely Tyson knew she was not selected and knew that they were pursuing someone else. She continued to practice for the role on her own. And later on, when the role came back to her and they came back to her with it, she wasn't surprised and she's friends with Foster. So that was not a problem at all. However, she very clearly said the role didn't belong to Foster. And that's why Foster didn't get it. And she was there waiting and ready. And so when it came back to her, she served. And of course we know she did an excellent job and the role really was hers. And it really was for her to me, that's a special story uh, in her life. I think it was in that role that she finally also realized that it was going to be important for her to think about what roles she could play using her experience as a black woman and that that experience and that voice was going to be important to the public going forward. And so that's when you see some of the other roles she chose to play later on. So as business leaders, there are some messages that I want us to take away from her life and her experiences. Number one is that just like Cicely Tyson, you to have an important message. In her case, she realized that her message was more important than just being an actor. The things that she was saying would affect, touch, and change people's lives, just like that white journalist who saw a side of Black life that he had not seen before. And as a CEO or as an executive of a major company, you have an important message too. And it's about more than just the business. Yes, it is about the business. And it's also about the lives of the people in your organization. So you want to think more broadly about what that message is. So number two is just remembering that people are watching, people are listening, people are learning. So as they watch, listen and learn, you want to have something to say. And number three, you have a choice have a choice whether you're going to inspire people with what you choose to do, or whether you're going to tear them down by playing these roles of prostitutes and pimps and drug addicts and so on. And in her case, she chose to go for roles more like Coretta King, Marva Collins, and people who had a positive message to share, which means you have to be willing to sacrifice and be willing to pass up on some things. It was never about the money for her. Many times she was underpaid for what she did. What it was about for her was getting that message out there. It was very personal. She wanted to be able to water that next generation. So there were those years she sat out and maybe made less money than she could have made because she wasn't willing to compromise her values, to compromise her integrity, or to stand and step outside of what she really stood for. In your workplace, there will be many temptations. There will be opportunities to make money, opportunities to engage in fraud, to do things that are not in integrity. And because you too are representing the God of the universe, you too are representing someone greater than yourself. You might choose to take less and maybe to be maligned in some ways because you don't engage in the graft and the crime and the evil that exists and that is available in many workplaces. She also, number five, had to leave home to learn what she needed to learn. Even though she stayed in New York, she got on the subway and she traveled to other parts of town to be exposed to something else. And that is what we have to do. We have to think about it. What do you need to learn in your role as an executive right now? How else do you need to enrich and grow in your experiences? Where might you have to go to get that added learning and growth and be willing to go there? And number six, you want to recognize and live out the calling and the prophecy on your life. And in Cicely Tyson's case, when she was a baby, her mother was wheeling her down the street in the baby carriage. And she tells the story to Kelly Ripka and to Ryan Seacrest. And a woman comes up and starts playing with her in the baby carriage and talking to her, and then speaks to Cicely Tyson's mother and says, take care of this little girl later in your life, she's going to take care of you. She's going to do great things. So that was then a prophecy over Cicely Tyson's life. So there was a calling for her that was recognized and she lived it out. You have a calling on your life too. It's no accident that you are where you are. God has you there for a season, a reason, and a purpose, and you want to take it seriously as well. Number seven, you want to take care of your body, the temple of God. In Cicely Tyson's case, she was asked, what was it that contributed to her long life? And as we mentioned earlier, she lived to be 96 years old. And even in her old age, she was still very vibrant. And she was acting well past her late 80s even. There were several things she chose. She did not smoke. She didn't drink. She didn't do drugs. And after Dr. Martin Luther King died, she felt then called to vegetarianism as a way to stay healthy. And she said she lived life every day with joy because she loved life. And that was also part of her staying vibrant. So I would say dare to be different. Everybody around you might be smoking, drinking, taking drugs, whatever it is that they're doing to destroy the temple of God, their bodies. And I say to you, you have many opportunities to do all of that too in your role as a senior executive, and you can choose to take care of the temple, to live the long life that God has ordained for you so that you can touch many lives and many people in the process. So as we close today's segment, I'd like to share a number of verses. And I'm going to start first in Proverbs, the 19th chapter. And this starts with verse 20. And it says, listen to the counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. So when I think of Cecily Tyson, and I think about the fact she spent all of that time in her early formative years in a religious and a church setting, she was hearing counsel, she was receiving instruction, she made many plans, and the counsel of the Lord is what stood in her life. And even though it might look like in the natural, like with the movie Sounder, that a door was closed, she knew that God is the one who opens and closes doors, and she really didn't worry about it. And even as you listen and think about her life today, you are too hearing some wise counsel that comes from her that you can also apply to your life as well. And then I'll turn also to Galatians, the sixth chapter, and this will be verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And that's important. She sowed a lot of seeds and a lot of plants grew as a result. She prepared herself. She blossomed. She flourished. And in your role, in your company, you can sow a lot of seeds too. You can blossom yourself and you can help other people to blossom because of the seeds that you sow. And only you get to decide, are you going to sow seeds that are good seeds that fall on good soil and produce a good crop? Or are you going to sow seeds of corruption and destruction? She chose seeds that would last, seeds of life, and you too can do the same. leadership resources.